And my purpose is this, that we will be encouraged to pray. And the way that we're going to look at that is through a prayer of Daniel. And his purpose in praying was to glorify God and to glorify the name of God. And we thought a bit about the name last week. The name of God, glorifying the name of God. Daniel was a human being, just a human being. And he prayed. He prayed quite a lot. And he lived in a time of political upheaval. His people had been plucked from their country land, their homeland, and carried off into exile in Babylon, where things were different, different gods, different ways of doing things. Daniel was a part of that. And there were great political tensions because some of the leaders thought it would be good to get in with the Babylonians and succeed through what they were doing and become a part of them and that way God would be glorified. And others thought, no, no, we mustn't do that. We must keep ourselves completely separate and go this way and not have anything to do with it. And So there was a great political turmoil at this time. And you might think, well, that's a bit like what we are going through at the moment. There is some political turmoil, not quite as bad as I would suggest Daniel's experience and not quite as bad as other places in the world, like Venezuela or North Korea, where things are, you might say, really bad. So that's, the, that's where Daniel is when he prays this prayer. Let's have a look at it. It's in Daniel chapter 9. Um, I've got an old Bible. Um, it's the same version as yours, but I don't have a page number. So if anyone can shout that out, it would be useful. 895, thank you. And it's titled up Daniel's Prayer. And although we're going to look at this over a fairly short period of time, I I get the sense that Daniel was praying this over days and months. Um, But things had come to a head a little bit. He was a great man of prayer. And we know at this point in Daniel, he already had prayed three times a day because that got him in a little bit of trouble. And he'd ended up being fed to the lions who... Um, obviously didn't like him either that or God shut their mouths and they didn't eat him so this is where we are with Daniel Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1 in the first year of Darius son of Xerxes a Mede by descent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign I Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. 
I don't think Brexit's going to last that long, really. I think if we're only in year three, we're not getting near the 70, are we? So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Pleaded, petition, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. This isn't just a comfortable sit-on-the-sofa idea of prayer. In fasting, Daniel would probably have gone without food or maybe sleep. Sackcloth. Well, it was quite a thing then. I don't think there's an equivalent now. But the sackcloth was an indication of some sense of mourning, of great loss. And so what people would do was rip their clothes and put on like a sackcloth. So uh, anyone fancy doing a bit of ripping of their clothes? And... <laughs> no? Okay. So... I mean, this was serious. They, they, um, it was a way of humiliating themselves or, and publicly showing that this was, this was happening and they were praying about it and they were grieving. Now, I'm not sure if the microphone and glasses things are going to work here. We'll see. Maybe it's not. So, thanks Ben for controlling that so well. Now, there's the sackcloth. There's a great sense of mourning. And people go around like this. And then there's ashes. Now, what would they do? I'm going to be careful, don't worry. If you're going to take me, I'll only do a little bit. But what they would do, they would sit in a public place in a pile of ashes and they would put it on their head as well. Well, I'll put a little bit on my head. This was about often ruin. Something has been completely and utterly ruined. And so they would sit in it and they would put it all over their head and their face. And that is how they would display themselves. And it's on this basis that Daniel comes to prayer. And it says he pleaded with God. So I think he might have stood or knelt even. So I'm going to read the rest of this prayer knelt down. I think he probably would have knelt because we get a sense of that from um, earlier in Daniel where he kneels at his window prays. 
Let's pray Daniel's prayer. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord, our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God. And here, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, listen. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hear and act for your sake, O oh my God. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Do keep that open. We'll come to uh, the rest of it in a moment. So what does Daniel actually pray? Well, he does acknowledge 
God. Who God is. There is an acknowledgement of what God has done in the past. Of his provision. There's also praise. He gives thanks and he recognizes just who God is. So that is certainly one aspect of his prayer. And we can see that just in the way he starts. O Lord, the great and awesome God. But then he does move on. And he confesses. But do you notice he confesses his part? He doesn't confess for Israel, for his nation, for his people. He doesn't say, Lord, I know I've been good in coming to pray to you, but my people have been rubbish. He doesn't say that. He moves himself across and stands with them and says, we haven't confessed, we haven't repented, we haven't obeyed. Even though he probably has. He identifies with his people. And that makes him a mediator, an intercessor. And that might ring some bells. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had no sin in him. But he came and identified himself with us and he stood with us and said, yeah, I'll take the punishment for sin. And Jesus even now intercedes for us. So there is a standing with his people. And then... He confesses it all. He says, he actually openly speaks out and says what the problem is. It's not like, oh God, I, I, I know you know that I've done whatever. He states it. Presumably it's even written somewhere as well. That might be an idea. So there's a confession, a recognition. And within that confession... It's something very important, I think. And that is a recognition of the pride that is, in fact, the first sin of the human condition, if you like. It is pride that says, actually, God, I don't need you. I can just do this myself without you. And Daniel confesses that. And says, I've, that's how I've been. That's how we are. But actually, we're wrong. And we do need you. And that is a humiliation. And that's part of the sackcloth and ashes thing. It's a saying, yes. I'm humbled. I'm under you, God. I do need you. I confess. I got it wrong. So there's certainly confession in there. But then, you'll notice Daniel also asks. He asks. And he asks God 
to have mercy. And he's pretty confident of that because he knows God is a merciful God. So he asks. But he also asks God to act. He says, Lord, hear me. Lord, have mercy. Forgive. Act. So when we pray, we can pray in the full knowledge that God is merciful. He will hear. And we can call on him to act. So what does God do? Let's go to verse 20 and see. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this, from issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one. Seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, I was pretty glad when I read that, that it was Daniel that was given all the understanding. And although that doesn't let me off the hook completely, I feel it does a bit. Um, and if you like to take things a little bit further and look into some of that, it is incredible, um, but probably not for a few minutes of our time here this morning. So I'd encourage you, go away, have a look. It is amazing. Um, but I'd like to focus on really what happens in the grander scheme of things. Because Daniel's prayer is answered. God does hear him. God has listened. And God has sent his messenger and spoken to Daniel. And God has also revealed what's going to happen 
and given him the understanding. And frankly, it's not good. It's bad. Really. But what it does show is that God is controlling history. God is controlling politics. God is controlling leaders and rulers. This is a spiritual situation and not a political one. If you take the big picture. So we can see from the prayer and the answer, I think, that although Daniel is doing the praying, it's God that's in charge. And I think that's why prayer is so important, so good. It's not the prayer, it's not the person praying. It's God that does the stuff. And the other amazing thing, anyone can pray. Anyone. Maybe you're thinking, ah, is it, do you mean any Christian can pray? No, no, anyone. Because how do most people come to faith and commit to being a Christian? They pray. So at that point, they weren't a Christian, were they? So anyone can pray. Anyone can approach God. Because of what Jesus has done. Prayer is not a gift. It's not listed in the great Pauline gifts of you might be a teacher or a, um, a server or a, someone who's generous. Prayer's not there. Prayer's what we do if we love Jesus, we talk to him. And I guess that's what it really comes down to is this idea of a relationship with Jesus individually, corporately as a church and as Daniel was praying into as a nation so I'd like to really encourage you in your prayer are there things that stop you praying a big one is we don't think it's important or we don't think it will make a difference or nothing will happen or we've prayed before and it didn't work that's not really the idea of prayer prayer is about you communicating or us communicating with God it's the pride thing we put ourselves out of the picture and say it's about you God and your glory Maybe we let other things become more important. So it's more important to do something than it is to pray something. But can I encourage you this week, especially as we're in this week, focus on prayer. Why not try praying instead of doing See what God does. We're going to have um, 
a time where we might be able to respond to that, um, what God might be saying to us. And um, I think probably worth spending just a minute or two in, in quiet.